Hi there, we've just finished slogging our way out of a dungeon. We're both weighed down with numerous packs and all the rest of the treasure that the player party can't be asked to carry. This is the Red Dice Diaries RPG podcast with John and Hannah. Hi. And we're going to be discussing hirelings or, as some know them, retainers. Okay, so this is a podcast episode inspired partly by an episode that I was listening to on someone else's podcast. I can't remember exactly who I think it may have been, Jason Connolly from the Nerds RPG Variety Cast, who was talking about this. It's a great podcast. If you haven't listened to it, go ahead and check it out. I'll put a link in the description of this show. But before we get into talking about hirelings and retainers and some ways in which you can use them in your game, first of all, we should answer the question, what are hirelings and retainers, if people aren't familiar? So... According to the D&D Rules Cyclopedia, a retainer is a person hired by a character to help on an adventure or a series of adventures. Retainers are sometimes called hirelings. Retainers are never characters run by the players. Retainers are always NPCs run by the DM. Now, if we look at Old School Essentials, which is a reorganisation of the basic expert system of D&D, just slightly sort of reorganised and made easier to reference. OSE distinguishes between hirelings and retainers, with hirelings being specialists and mercenaries who do various things for you but they don't accompany you on actual adventures. Retainers are described as NPCs that are hired by characters to accompany them on an adventure. Now, I did have a look around to see if I could find any sort of 5th edition stuff, you know, so we could, like, reference and compare this with the latest edition of D&D. But I couldn't really find any dedicated retainer rules in 5th edition. The nearest I could find was a mention in the Noble background, where, as an alternative to their normal position of privilege reward that they get as part of that background, they can choose to have three NPC retainers who are loyal to their family. Mm-hmm. Now... 5th edition seems to focus far more on those hirelings who provide subsidiary services rather than retainers that actually mix it up with the PCs in the deep dungeons, which I suppose is understandable because 5th edition has shifted far more towards a, a PC-centric view compared to like earlier versions of D&D. Now, Love, you've been looking through the classic Munchkin card game to see what it said about retainers. I have. I remember that the hirelings in this were particularly well done for that sort of dungeon-crawling D&D type game. Um, So a hireling is not an item unless you put a price on it. You may trade hirelings uh, that have a gold price value. Mm. Hireling can sacrifice himself for you. You you, If you lose a fight, then instead of running away, you just discard a hireling. Start throwing them in the way of harm, basically. <laughs> uh, we, we should probably point out that like Munchkin is a very sort of stereotypical, sort of cartoony like parody of D and D, isn't it? Yeah. But some of it hits home quite a lot. And each of the hirelings in the game has like their own specific sort of little thing that they do. Like there's one that's a cartoon of a really big guy All that right. can also be used as a steed. <laughs> oh yeah, that's one with the guy like getting a piggyback off him, isn't it? Yeah, 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 I remember that. Um, if your hireling is killed, you automatically loot the body and keep all the items yourself. If your hireling sacrifices himself to save you, he will loyally drop all his items so that you can keep them. 
it's um, yeah it very much reminded me of the early games that I did where none of it was really about character development or feelings it was all just sort of treated as like a big board game and hirelings in particular uh, would end up being used in all manner of devious ways well, to beat a dungeon. Well, I think that's that's one of the, the sort of reasons why Munchkin's so fun to play because although we know it's cartoony and it's exaggerated, it's sort of stereotypes and events that we're all familiar with, especially like you say from those early days of running D and D, where you were just like, Oh, we're being attacked, I'll throw the hiling in front of it <laughs> and that sort of thing. Okay, so we're going to talk a bit about some of the advantages of having retainers. Now, I'm coming at this mainly from a perspective of a GM who runs old-school games, which can be quite deadly to player characters, especially at low level, mm-hmm. so it never hurts to have a bit of extra muscle around, but there's some other advantages you can have for having hirelings. So, first of all, filling a gap in the party roster... You know, if you're mainly a fighting party, maybe you want to hire someone who's a cleric for a bit of that sweet, sweet healing, or maybe like a magic user to like dispel some of the enemy magics. Now, this is something that comes up quite a lot in the Star Trek game that I run. Oh, right, okay. Where, obviously, they're not hirelings as such. They're just other members of the ship's crew that aren't player characters. characters. And we do call them B characters. But often there will be a skills gap in the group... Yeah. And therefore, one of the B characters can just be used to do that particular role because whoever's in command says, Oi, uh, Ensign Shedrut, you do that for me. Yeah, and I mean, there's a, there's quite a few sort of apocryphal tales, and, I, and I've experienced a few, I'm sure you have, mm-hmm. where you're running some sort of game and it rely the, the module or whatever you're running relies on like having certain abilities. Now, obviously, there's other ways around that. You know, you can change the module or whatever. But if it's like a glaring omission sort of in the party's makeup, like let's say you get everyone in a D and D game, and have, I know it probably wouldn't happen, but everyone's like, no, I just want to play a basic fighter. Mm-hmm. That means you are going to be the nuts when it comes to combat but you are going to be lacking in all other areas. You're not going to have any healing unless you've got potions. You're not going to be able to dispel any magic. You're not going to have any lot picks. Exactly, yeah. You're not going to be You're not going to be as good out in the wild because you're not a ranger or a druid or anything like that. So you, part of the thing about D&D in particular is obviously it's made to be like a group game. You're made to have... It's designed with the assumption you'll have a party with a variety of different abilities. Now, if you haven't got that, you can use hirelings as, like we were saying, like a stopgap to like sort of plaster over some of those cracks in the party makeup. Another good thing about them is you can have them as secondary characters. So, if you're, and again, like Sam coming at this from an old school perspective, but if someone loses a character during the middle of an adventure, which could happen quite easily in an old school game it can be sometimes difficult to like slot them straight back in because of like where they are in the story however if you've got some retainers like handy you can always just hand that character sheet over to one of the players to play with for the rest of the session then if they get to the end and they're like i don't want to carry on playing this retainer you can always say well it's fine now just join up a new character and we'll bring them in next session happy days or they, could, they might go, actually, I quite like playing this henchman, in which case just add the last few bits to the character sheet, upgrade it to a full player character, 
and happy days you're up and running again and that person isn't sort of like oh i've joined my character can i join in you like actually they're like six miles down in the underdog there's not really any way for you like a new character to pop mm-hmm, up mm-hmm. and obviously again there are other ways around it but having someone take on the role of a retainer means that they're going to be playing someone who already has like an established background with the group sort of looking at it from the other side almost yeah having the stats there to have a sort of a npc following the group along also means that if you're choosing to run an adventure in the underdark it doesn't mean they can't like have somebody there to rescue and then get them back oh yeah you've already got those stats there in place oh yeah there's, there's definitely other ways you can do it um obviously another good thing for uh hirelings is as treasure carriers now Mm -hmm. whether you enforce encumbrance down to the last gold piece or whether you're sort of like a bit more laissez-faire about it sometimes the amount of treasure like pieces that stagger out of a dungeon like holding it strains credulity now one solution to this in addition to like buying wagons and stuff like that is hire some retainers and get them to help you like lug all those big sacks of gold back to it although obviously if it's a bit too hazardous the old uh, hireling might be wanting a bit extra cash mm-hmm. for their endeavours. And uh, the final reason I can think of, and I'm sure there's more out there, if you think of any we've missed, please call in. The other one I can think of is local knowledge. So if the dungeon you're exploring is local, perhaps your characters didn't grow up in that area, then hiring a local person might get you some of that useful like background information. So... It might help your research when it comes to, I don't know, like delving into the ancient ruins that have lain on the hill for hundreds of years. You might have just come into the area as a player party, you know nothing about it. You hire a local like guy and you're like, have you heard any legends about that castle up on here? And he's like, oh yeah, my grandmother used to tell me about this, that and the other that went on. Uh, there used to be ghosts haunting it. And it's a nice way of adding in those background elements if you're going to hire a hireling anyway and saving yourself a bit of legwork in the process another thing that I can think of that it's useful for is to be able to give the GM a voice in the game without breaking character where if you can see that the player characters are doing something really stupid you can sort of point that out by having the hireling ask them a question about their plan or if you're having like a pointless in character conflict that you sort of want to be able to put to an end and move the game along a bit, you can have the halflings say something to them about it. Yeah, now I've got to admit, I'm not too keen on the idea of like a GM like pointing out when players are doing something silly. If if you like that, that's grand. Crack on with it. But for for me personally, I've always thought it's not my job to point out to the player characters when they're doing something silly because nine times out of ten. It's obvious when they're doing something silly. Like, if some like first-level party of player characters go like, oh, we've heard rumours there's a, a great hundred-year-old dragon in the cave, and they're like, oh, let's, with our short swords and on no magic, let's go and take it down. I don't really feel I need to like point out what, what the inevitable result of that is going to be. But to, to twin it with like the local knowledge thing, I, I'm slightly more sort of uh, okay with that if it's perhaps something the players maybe wouldn't be aware of. So if it's if it's all known to all hereabouts that there's bandits layering in the forest, the players don't know because they've just rocked into town and they're like, all right, we're going to go, it's quicker to go straight through the forest to get to the castle rather than go all the way around it on the King's Road. That Then you might have like some local hireling who's like, because he's going to be going along with them. So he's not saying it just to protect the player character. He wants to protect himself because obviously he's an NPC. 
he, he doesn't know he's just a hireling. He, he wants to like, look after himself. So he might be like, oh no, we, we shouldn't go through that forest. You know, we, we should just take the longer road because it's safer. And then obviously the player characters will probably ignore him and make their minds up anyway. But that sort of thing, I'm more in favour of. You can also use them for quite a lot of like added melodrama yes. in your games uh, because it gives, as I say, the GM a way to sort of push that sort of thing along and it gives people a chance to have a character to talk to who they know is on their side but isn't one of the other player characters Yeah, for like when they want those sorts of scenes in a more melodramatic story. And I think that brings us nicely on to one thing to keep in mind when you're hiring like retainers or whatever. Obviously, as we were saying just, they're NPCs, they've got their own goals, their own motivations. As we were just saying, they don't see themselves as like minor characters. That's like an out-of-game sort of artifice of whatever system you're using. They've got their own thoughts. They're not blindly going to throw themselves into the jaws of death for whatever paltry sum of money <laughs> the players are going to be paying them. Because, well, I mean, they can't spend it if they're dead, can they? Retainers also have a varying levels of loyalty, which comes back to what you were saying. Um, if they're constantly mistreated, they might just be like, no, forget this, it's not worth the money, and they might leave. And you best believe that if you're in like a small town and word gets around that you've been like getting all your retainers killed and like throwing them into the jaws of death and whatever, when you go to like hire some more after your latest death defying escapade, people aren't exactly going to be lining up to sign on with your adventuring crew. If on the other hand, you've set up the last three guys with like a nice little farm and uh, maybe a couple of uh, gold coins on top then there's going to be people clamouring to get you to hire them. Yeah, like a lot of these things, it works, but it works both ways. If you've been mistreating your hirelings, they're, they're probably going to leave, they're going to put the word around, and you're going to get a bad name. Whereas if you treat your hirelings really well, you they're, they're well paid, you don't throw them into unnecessary danger, maybe a couple of them can even retire on the money you've paid them, then yeah, people are going to be like, oh, they sound like a good crew to sign on with and you're going to have an easier time of it, and you're probably going to get more loyal retainers in future because they'll know that you're going to treat them right, just like people in the real world. If you if you hire someone for a job and then constantly mistreat them, they're going to have a far less charitable view of you than if you're straight with them and you treat them with common decency. Say so Phantom agrees treat, with us. How well do you treat your for hirelings? Okay, so let's move on to talk about different ways you can represent retainers. Now, there's a number of different ways you can do this um, without slowing the game down to a crawl or having the GM have loads more work to do. So we're just going to highlight a few of them here and discuss a few potential positives and negatives. So the first way of doing them is the GM has the sole control of the retainer. The GM's got like a normally sort of like cut-down character sheet they play the NPC in all situations, including combat. Now, this has the advantage of keeping the retainers fully under the GM's control. However, it does give the GM extra work to do. And if you're just doing a little travelling scene or whatever, that's not really a problem. If you're doing like a combat with like 30 enemies, and then you've got to do the NPCs by helping the player character, it's just an extra workload for the GM. Another way you could possibly do it is the GM could delegate control of the retainer under certain circumstances. So in this, the GM plays the NPC, as with the previous example, under most circumstances. But in certain situations, like combat, 
they delegate control of that NPC to a player. So like handing over the little carrot sheet and saying, like, "All right, you can you can handle like Gus the baggage handler for like this this combat." Now this has the advantage of minimizing the extra work the GM has to do, whilst allowing them like a level of control over the NPC. Again, as we were saying earlier, it can also be handy if a player's main character goes out of action for any reasons. Maybe they get paralysed to the combat encounter by some evil magic the players can't do anything about while they're in that combat encounter. Maybe they die, maybe they're knocked out, whatever. You can then just like slide the NPC over to them and be like, oh, well, you take on the role of Gus, and that keeps them involved in the game rather than them just sitting there sort of like waiting for something to actually happen. That's something that was particularly useful when you had that um, World of Darkness game where there were various different supernaturals and it gave the vampire something to do during daylight scenes because he could play yes, as retainers. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so the next one is the GM hands control of the retainer to the players. Now, using this method, the GM hands almost all control of the retainer to the players. This obviously frees the GM up a great deal, and they can still override the players if they start getting silly or throwing them into suicidal situations. In order to use this method, though, you need to have a certain degree of trust between the GM and the players that they're going to handle, that they can handle playing an extra NPC, and that they remember that it's an NPC, it's not like another player character. So, but I think as long as you sort of like trust your players and you know they're going to be okay with it, that can be quite a handy method. And as I say, as the GM, if like it starts to get a bit silly or they're like, oh yeah, Gus is going to move forward and throw himself in the way of the dragon's breath, as a GM you can always be like, actually, no he isn't. He's well not having any of that dragon's breath. And obviously there's, in certain games, there's like morale scores and stuff like that. So you can always fall back if you don't want to just adjudicate it yourself. You can always fall back if the PCs say, oh, Gus is going to throw himself in the way of the dragon, go like, I'll make a loyalty check or, mor or a morale check to see if they'll actually do it. Now, the this final method I've thought of here is a method that I first encountered in Dungeon World, and that is that the retainers don't really have a separate character sheet. They just provide a bonus to player action. So this is more similar to like the Munchkin vibe that we were talking about mm -hmm. earlier. Like I said, they don't have their own stat sheets in the way that player characters do, but under certain circumstances, depending on what sort of retainer it is, they provide a bonus to the player character's action. So if you've hired a fighter, they might give you a bonus to hit in combat. If you've hired a wizard, maybe they give the party's major bonus to like researching something. If you've hired a bard, maybe you get a role to like remember like ancient lore or whatever, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. But they don't actually tend to do stuff on themselves. They just make things easier for the player characters. Now, this is very easy to represent retainers since minimal management is required. And the GM can still represent them during social encounters when they're chatting and stuff like that. However, it does require deciding which player character the hireling is going to assist, which is generally not too difficult if you've got a, pot, a group working together and also what the maximum number of retainers assisting is. Because it could get ridiculous if you're like, oh, well, I'm going to go into a combat, but I've hired like 20 soldiers to help me. Give me that plus 20 to my combat role. So you have to be a little bit sensible with it. But certainly if you want like a lighter, quick-flowing game, it can be quite an interesting way of doing it. And I find it works quite well in Dungeon World. So can you think of any other ways that retainers can be used or represented in games? Um... No, the the one thing 
that we've not really talked about is that whole sort of uh, well enslavement element that you get with some games with retainers, particularly the World of Darkness and the Ghouls, because they're like magically bound. Yeah, sort like say enforced retainers, yeah. sort of like enslaved retainers. Or do you want to talk about it? Well, I d- d- just to sort of acknowledge that it it's dark, and if you're going to highlight it in your game, you need to be careful about how to do it. Yeah, I mean, l- it like, can make for really interesting story matter. But yeah, I mean, yeah. like like any sort of game where you're dealing with uh, unfortunate topics, like someone who's been enslaved or their will has been controlled, like ghouls in Vampire the Masquerade and stuff like that, you obviously have to treat it sensitively and check that your players are all right with that sort of thing. But I think with most retainers in most games, you don't really tend to have that element in the same way you would do in a horror game. And obviously the fact is in World of Darkness, it's a horror game. Mm -hmm. It's not meant to be... Like, ghouls are very much portrayed as, like, not a good thing. (laughs) They're useful for vampires because they can do stuff during the day without bursting into flames, and they can be controlled by, like, their addiction to vampiric blood... However, they're not exactly well-balanced or normal individuals, and their lot is generally not a happy lot. And on the same sort of note, just that there are animal companion retainers, there are human retainers. Yeah. You can't expect them to act the same, and you can't treat them the same in your systems. No, that's very true, and I suppose we should also... I know we've touched on this lightly earlier on in the episode we should also as we repeat the fact that hirelings henchmen whatever you want to call them retainers although mechanic wise the players might see them as like fairly disposable so if you're a Mm -hmm. druid you've summoned an animal and you're like oh I'll throw this animal at the enemy to distract them the animal itself the hireling the retainer whatever as far as they're concerned they're not just like a bit part sort of NPC they're a living person an animal whatever they've got their own family their own people (laughs) their own hopes their own dreams their own history and while we might not touch on that in the game because they're not the focus of the game they are not going to want to sacrifice all of that and their lives for some people they've only just met who are just paying them a bit of dollar it's not that you can't go for that like cheesy camp tone of game where you throw the hireling straight in or whatever. It's that everybody needs to be up for that sort of thing and happy to accept that there's going to be some very tasteless humour involved. Those games can be really good fun, but you need to know where everybody's lines are. Yeah, and I think if you're going to play that sort of game, you have to acknowledge that you're playing a sort of parody game a sort of a sort of i suppose dark comedy game whereas and there's a certain level of like unrealism in that whereas in a in a sort of traditional game people tend to reach more for a, a slightly more sort of consistent tone rather than the sort of like the wacky sort of humor and oh just throw that actually the hireling at it but it's what works for you and your group at the end of the day but you have to make sure everyone's on board and understands what sort of tone your game is going for okay so that's our episode on hirelings and retainers we hope you've enjoyed that if you could think of any other ways of representing retainers that we've missed maybe you want to tell us about how you handle them in your game 
please do drop us a line. You can do that by leaving us a voicemail message on the SpeakPipe website. There's a link in the description of this show. Or you can send us an email to rdrpgpodcast at gmail.com. Until we see you next time, take care, stay safe, and keep gaming. Bye.